Hi, and welcome to Integrative Cancer Solutions with Dr. Carl Felt. A cancer diagnosis is one of the hardest slap in the face imaginable. All of a sudden, you have to become an expert in cancer and its treatments because your life depends on it. Oncologists, family and friends are pushing you towards chemo, radiation, surgery, yet you feel there are additional solutions out there. You don't feel confident in that only traditional therapies will take care of it. You may, as I have, seen family or friends quickly go downhill from harsh medical treatments. There is a better way. I invite you to listen to stories from real people fighting cancer successfully through powerful, integrative, and holistic methods. Learn what they did. This is my gift to you to make the learning curve less steep after your diagnosis. The information in this podcast could save your life as it has others. Doug Kaufman, it, it's such a such a pleasure to have you on the show today, Integrated Cancer Solution with Dr. Carl Feld. This, this is going to be a fun discussion, and I'm really looking forward to it. And I really want to thank you for the invitation. I've heard of you and uh, very much looking forward to helping your audience better understand that there are many facets to cancer, not just one. And, and you've been on this journey for quite some time. Do you, do you mind just kind of sharing with the audience a little bit about, you know, you have a TV show, you've written mm-hmm. books. Uh, I mean, you, you've been engaged uh, publicly in so many different ways. If you don't mind just kind of sharing a little bit about your, your, your journey yes. in that way. Well, I, uh, I was drafted out of college in 1968. I'm an old timer. And uh, I remember going down and taking my physical and I couldn't, you know, there's a urine sample. I couldn't go to the bathroom. And there was a nice young doctor sitting there and he waited and waited and he made me drink water. And finally, during all of this, I said, look, I'm scared. We get to watch the Vietnam War on television. I don't want to go. And he said, why are you going in the army? And I said, because I got drafted. And he said, well, you still have time to go to the Coast Guard or the Air Force or something. So I just, you know, bowed down. Thank you. Thank you. And I, and with that, I eliminated. So we went off and I ran to the uh, Navy and took some tests and enlisted in the Navy. So you're going for four years instead of two. To keep me from going to Vietnam, I signed up in the medical corps. Didn't know what that meant. I mean, I faint when I get my blood drawn back then. So I ended up in the uh, medical corps and very much like a licensed vocational nurse for a few years you go through training, and we were trained in emergency medicine. And uh, then a medical pack is put on our back, and off we go. And the Marine Corps uh, has Navy corpsmen. Army has medics. So we are well-trained in emergency medicine. What a fascinating year. If you ever want to do another podcast, we'll go through that year. But thank God I came home and just began to have some health problems. And uh, in looking for them... I got a book from a library. We didn't have a, you know, hey, Siri. I went to a library, got a library card. I worked with Dr. Everett Hughes at USC Medical School. And he said, did you ever eat in Vietnam raw fish? And and I said, yeah, I I ate a little bit of it. And he said, maybe this is a worm. So I got a book on parasitology, opened it up. And Dr. Carfell, my my arms had jungle rot. My lower legs had some jungle rot on it. And that's a mycobacterium that I have learned behaves more like a myco than a bacterium, behaves more like yeast than bacteria. So this book fell open to a chapter that said uh, yeast and fungi are parasites. I was thinking over, par- you know, I was thinking worms. And I began to read that chapter and my whole life changed. And I was working with a fellow, a wonderful old doctor, ENT doctor out of Cook County Hospital. 
And we begin to do nasal cytograms on his allergic patients and actually find yeast buds, you know, in people's nose. And then way back 50 years ago, we made a nice statin. We had a friend who was a pharmacist and we made a nice statin spray with salt water and people's allergies began clearing up, you know, and that wasn't good for business, but it's been a fascinating run. And many years ago, I attended a conference by the very respect, uh, respected mycologist, Dr. A.B. Costantini in Canada on the many faces of fungi. And I learned the reason I was helping people with rhinitis and sinusitis get better. But more importantly, I learned why some of them reported back to Dr. Gottschalk and the other doctors that, gee, they had little uh, nasal polyps that cleared up. And a couple of them had little tumors, little uh, uh, various and sundry tumors, they were called, and those cleared up. And my mind just expanded. This was in the 1980s now. After attending some meetings, I began to see that fungus was a big deal. Now, medical doctors receive huge amount of education in microbiology, all of it almost bacteriology, and some of it, of course, now, the past three years, virology, but none of it mycology. I mean, yeah, vaginal yeast, and a little ringworm, and dandruff, and so forth, but nothing like they study antibiotics. And it's I worked clinically, a doctor out of Johns Hopkins invited me to relocate my family when they were young and move to uh, Dallas, Texas, because he had a huge dermatology clinic and he was candid with me. Look, I, I put people with psoriasis, seborrheic dermatitis, you know, I put them under UV light and I give them a shot of cortisone and two weeks later they're back in. I'm not getting anybody better and I'm losing patients. So he saw uh, some of what I could do. And to make a long story short, uh, we put people on a, a antifungal diet that I developed. We, I made him promise I would relocate if he would give people my statin and Sporinox or Diflucan, yeast or fungus medications, just for two weeks. And what we saw in those two weeks, patients come in with headaches and horrible stomach bending over problems. They needed probiotics and all sorts of things. And what we saw was really historic. I mean, Dr. Weekly, a few times emoted, he began crying. He couldn't believe no patient comes in with psoriasis only, right? They're depressed. They have horrible bowel problems. Their joints hurt. They can see okay one day and the next day they can't see. They have ringing in their ears. And what we learned was the polysymptomatic patients, those with a lot of problems, were the ones that got better quicker on antifungal medications and on a diet I had uh, developed in the 1970s that lives on today. It's truly amazing when you look at cancer and fungus. And I know that's why you invited me on. I mean, that's a fascinating yeah. field. Yeah, I'd love, I mean, because that, and you're talking about, it, it is sad because mycology, you know, fungi, I mean, they're, they're, it, it is such a well-developed uh, organism, an intelligent organism, and it's so pervasive, you know, and it's so intelligent. I mean, you, you look at all the different uh, mushrooms that we're now using for cancer, you know, we've got cordyceps, turkey tail, reishi, mm -hmm. you know, ganodermine. And, and it is, it's such intelligence and complexity that comes with them. And so it is sad when you have something that is such a, it's such a big category 
that is then completely missed by the medical profession. Hmm. And and what is fast? I mean, you, you, here you're you're talking about all these different health issues. You know, the polysymptomatic, whether dealing with skin issues, dealing with gut issues, headaches, depression, anxiety, I and mean, all these different things from chemicals that are then released from these different organisms and then by then killing off these organisms obviously the the chemical load you know from these organisms are are you know highly decreased so so we're looking at it that but but then in relationship then to cancer i mean what how can that relationship exist isn't, isn't it fascinating? You talk about these uh, byproducts, uh, metabolites from fungi. First of all, we have uh, categorized about 100,000 species of fungi. Of those, three to 400 are pathogenic. Most of the times, not all, because fungi themselves, like candida, can be pathogenic. Most of the times, they spew a poison. It's called a mycotoxin. It's a natural byproduct and it's a liquid, solid, or gas. Of the thousands of mycotoxins that exist, because each organism like Aspergillus can make 14 of these various mycotoxins, 33 of these mycotoxins are now known. I published a paper in Oncology News with a couple of physician friends in 2014, and sometimes I read that paper again. It was trendsetting. Nobody liked it, but we loved it. <laughs> now doctors are calling me on it. But there are 33 of these mycotoxins from relatively common, you know, penicillium and aspergillus and fusarium molds that are, uh, that are DNA mutators. They mutate human DNA and cancer is a disease of mutated DNA. One of them causes human cancer. It's called aflatoxin. It's made by two species of aspergillus. And you and I would tend to think, well, how often do we get in aspergillus? Huge. I mean, aspergillus appears in our corn supply, our wheat supply, our peanut supply, you know, grain cereals, etc. It, it, it's in our ducting systems and moldy houses and so forth. So our exposure to it is very common. And it isn't the first time we have discovered, it isn't the first time we eat corn, you know, that we get after. It's not like the first antibiotic induces dysbiosis, right? It takes a while of taking a lot of antibiotics before we end up with these horrible problems. But we notice a trend in cancer that the people who are vulnerable to this disease and doctors, my peers tell me, Doug, cancer isn't a disease, it's 100 or 200 disease. Well, easy for them to say, since we now know there are 200 mycotoxins, maybe each one causes a different tissue to become inflamed. But it's so fascinating, Dr. Carfell, in, uh, in 2017, I gave a continuing medical education course, not being a physician, this was funny. So every one of my slides had to go before they're bored. And I'm okay with that. Took a few months to put these graphics together. I wish you could have been there. When I talked about antibiotics, look, the, the mold is called penicillium. The mycotoxin it makes is penicillin. And there are many species of penicillin, you know, that we give patients all day. You could have heard a pin drop. Yeah, but are they carcinogens, uh, Doug? They are carcinogens. Antibiotics are mycotoxins. Mycotoxins do cause cancer. And so you have to look at traits in a patient's history with the tumor formation or a, 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 you know, or a liquid tumor. Um, 
generally, they love their alcohol. Another mycotoxin, Burr's yeast, makes not only uric acid, which induces gout and kidney disease and so forth, but it makes a mycotoxin. And so this mycotoxin is prevalent. These mycotoxins are prevalent in people who eat fast foods and cereals, don't get very good nutrition, who live in a moldy home and inhale mold all the time, who drink alcohol, what the American Cancer Society says, moderate. Now, moderate, I did this tonight, Dr. Carfell. I put up on a graphic tonight during my live show. Here's moderate drinking, according to the American Cancer and American Heart, American Lung and everything. Moderate drinking is 85 gallons a year for men and 79 bottles of wine a year for women. That's one glass of wine for 365 days and 24 ounces of beer for 85 gallons. And then you and I go into the prostate doctor and say, well, it hurts when I sit down. And, I, and we say, why is that, doctor? And he says, I don't know. Here I've had you on antibiotics for a year. Do you drink? Yeah, I only have a couple of beers a night. Well, that's okay. And you begin to look at some of the atrocities in clinical medicine that are, you know, that play out. It's just incredible that we're exposed to these mycotoxins. They're known to induce cancer. As a matter of fact, six years ago, the toenail fungus drug, Spornox, was proved to treat cancer. And thiobendazole is now a cancer drug, another antifungal. Um, Nizerol in 1997, Nizerol was one of the early uh, azole drugs, ketoconazole it's called. Nizerol in 1997 in the Medical Tribune, uh, Family Practitioner's Journal, was found to lower PSA levels very quickly. All it does is kill fungus. And then my friend, Dr. Costantini, what a wonderful guy with the world health, he taught us all that the PSA is a 33 kilodalton, it's an enzyme that is made by five fungi. As it turns out, the PSA was never a prostate test. It's a fungus test. And the more fungal load, the more prostate swells, the more inflammation we see. This has been the most fascinating 50 is, years of anyone's life. That is fascinating. So so all the people you know, here, you have the, the rising PSA, and then you go in for biopsy, and they do the, the Gleason score and see. So with all of that, I mean, I mean, this, the suffering, and obviously, then you are kind of opening that capsule, the prostate capsule. So if you have then fungi in there, now you're kind of opening that capsule for that fungi to disperse you know, elsewhere. And this has been discredited in the medical literature. I need to fully disclose this. I have tried to find for 20 years just one paper that says, hmm, fungi evade phagocytosis by collecting in a sac that can't be differentiated from a tumor. Isn't that fascinating? Once we do the breast biopsy and punch the hole, it liberates whatever is in that lump. And we say that cancer metastasizes, but fungi disseminates then throughout the body. And it, it, it just boggles my mind. You're right with the PSA. I have, I have two friends that I have helped. They're both doing great. who are diagnosed with a 5.0 PSA, which I think is very low, but the doctors were all worried about it. 
And then I sent them to doctor friends of mine and uh, they got some IV vitamin C. I asked the doctors if they would use antifungal drugs, which they did. I put them on the diet that restricts carb intake because fungi thrive in the presence of carbs. And the people I have seen are doing wonderfully on this program. But I tell people what I sell is a volume switch. There's no off on switch that I have found with cancer. I have breast cancer. There you go. Just reach in, click it off. But thanks to people like yourself who have really understood biochemistry and nutrition and science, you know that you can put them on a diet and watch tumor markers begin to decline. Even doctors say this. And you can put them on certain supplements, beta-glucan, things like that, that really assist the immune system in modulating itself. And so I work with everyone independently a thumbprint, but the first thing I wanna do is why I love naturopathic doctors. When did this start? I never heard one of the doctors I work with ask an asthmatic patient or, or a Crohn's patient or a, a skin patient, when did this start? Ooh, that looks horrible. Do you mind if I take a picture of it? Okay, I'm gonna give you a shot in the hip and then I want you to stand naked in a puva box with uvia and then go home. I never got it, I never got it. I think we, the people, want to know the cause. I mean, I want to know when this be, you know, Doug um, got divorced. It was a horrible stress. My husband kept the home. I've always been an antique buff. So I went and rented a mid-century home for a couple thousand a month. Now the roof had leaked one time, but I didn't, you know, you see where I'm going with all of this. And uh, the dog died, you know, in the house. I was sad, went through more stress. And then I drank a little bit more than I should have. So you let this play out. And then you teach the patient that your physician should have listened to all this. You know, I think if we do more of this as doctors and less, uh, you know, open these and shut this, I think the patient would tell us everything we need to know to make an appropriate diagnosis. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's a key is to, to you know, you usually hear the root cause from the story of the patient. And then, you know, nothing happens just by itself. You know, cancer just doesn't show up just because right. it shows up for a reason. Thank and, you. and it is a, a just like you're, you're talking about fungi, it encapsules itself. Cancer does the same thing. It's a protective mechanism to kind of ward, you know, to, to enclose it so that we can then kind of fill that capsule with whatever's there, whether it's chemical, heavy metal, fungi, you know, whatever it mm -hmm. may be, you know, it, it's an enclosed system. And so, uh, but it's there for a reason. And we, we got to find out, you know, the, the you're talking about the body is, is stressed. Well, your immune system goes down during stress, more cortisol, you're more inflamed, you know, it, it fuels the fire inflammation. You know, cancer is very inflammatory. So, so all of these factors and drive towards, you know, the picture that we're looking at. So we just need to then unravel all these, these, you know, these conditions, uh, mm -hmm. these factors that have then built up to what we now call cancer. That's exactly right. I, one day after a show, maybe five years ago, how I wish I'd have known you earlier. I get a call from a lady, a doctor, and I, I, I get, as you might imagine, huge number of calls. I've been doing this television show called Know the Cause. We thought it was a good five-year run. We're in our 24th year, and it's just, it's in 200 countries. It's in tens of millions of households in the U.S. on networks and independent stations. So it's just 
wonderful. I get a call from what sounded like a little old lady. Her name was Migdalia Arnon. And she said, honey, you're so right. I watched you on TV today. I'm in Colorado. I watch you every day. And I said, well, thank you. And I'm telling, you know, my secretary, how'd she get in? You know, how'd she get on? She's a doctor. She's a pathologist who wrote a book on the pathogenesis of cancer. Uh, she was a cancer specialist. In chapter 12 of her book, which she signed and sent me, chapter 12 was the fungal etiology of cancer. And now this will floor you. I didn't know this. When we determine that our corn supply or our wheat supply or our rice supply has aspergillus in it, the mold, uh, that mold, aspergillus mold makes a poison called aflatoxin. The way you see this when the trains of corn come in is you have a sampler. He takes out a little sample and he breaks the seed and the germ inside, if he holds up a UV lamp, will turn uh, green, green granules will be shown. And Dr. Migdalia Arnon is telling me this. And I said, gee, I didn't know that. And she said, I want to send you something. She sent me slides of every cancer tumor she dissected. Green granules, they light up immunofluorescent green granules in the tumors. And I tried to get all my doctors, you know, my cancer buddies to to see this and thank God, ever since my lecture, the CME lectures I gave, more and more doctors are, are getting, before I die, there's gotta be six or seven of them who totally understand this so they can they can help patients. But there have been these taps, like when they approve Spornox for cancer, it all it does is kill toenail fungus. Yeah, but it also treats cancer, I wonder why. There've been these taps on my shoulder, you know, my whole career that just, Every herb, every spice that kills fungus is recommended by the American Cancer Society, yet they don't know why, and you and I do. I mean, it's really, it's a joy. And, and just like looking then at, at natural agents that we use you know, dealing with cancer, like curcumin, for instance, you know, yes. that, that's a, it's a strong mm -hmm. antifungal as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is what, see, this is what I love. When you called and asked me if I would come on this, I looked you up and it said naturopathic doctor and doctor of philosophy. And I said, that's the kind of, to be candid with you, physicians, great people. I have a lot of friends who are physicians. Why can't they get the turmeric <laughs> will inhibit bacterial growth? It's fungicidal. And gee, Doug, when we give it to our patients, the tumor shrinks, the tumor markers begin declining. Gee, that's a tough one for me to understand. Are we that bright? I don't think so. It, it's just so frustrating for me. And I go to the meetings and I, for years, I gave CME courses. Um, and that was an honor. And then I wrote, I've written a dozen books on the fungus link to your health problems, helping you, you know, these little questionnaires. Uh, did you sleep in grandma's basement? Well, it's underground. Did your house ever leak? Everybody says yes. When you get out of the shower, do you just, could you pull that towel in your back? It itches so bad. Fungi love heat and will activate in heat. Just all of these, you know, are you a cheap drinker? Can you have one glass of wine and just get loopy? You're probably up to here with mold. Um, are you allergic to penicillin? Yeah, oh yeah, I get it. What happens when you take that? I swell up, you're up to here with mold. You know, so the whole IgE mediated allergy comes into question. Are you allergic to peanuts? Oh, yeah, there was this one time I ate peanuts and I got so sick I almost died. Yeah, they were impregnated with aspergillus mold that could have killed you. It's known to cause cancer. So it's uh, been a, a wonderful, wonderful career. 
prior to Vietnam, I wanted to be a doctor. And when I came home after all that medical training, I really wanted to be a doctor. But, you know, surfing was you got to weigh out your priorities in life. Surfing was much more important. Had I been a doctor today, a physician, you and I would be conversing about two brand new drugs that I just got $2 billion in my bank account to talk about on your podcast. And not exciting to me at all. People watching your show are learning how to, how, what is self-help? Do we have the freedom to help ourselves? And, and that is so, I mean, the, the impact that you have you know, with what you're doing versus you know, some, some doctor, like you're saying, they, you know, they talk about a drug and it makes a gazillion dollars, but the impact that you have and the reach that you have, mm-hmm. and at mm-hmm. the end of the day, you know, when, when you're laying there in your dying breath and you can then feel, I made a difference. I did, mm-hmm. I did something that resonates with who I am and I was able to make a difference. I'm, I'm curious in regards to, you know, some people even say that, you know, you, you had the, the doctor, you know, the pathologist that, that, that said, you know, you know, look at the slides, it looks identical, you know, I see all this green. So does that mean in your mind that cancer, in essence, is, is fungus? I mean, is it anything different than fungus and in your mind? So here's what I believe cancer is. We talk about under a hood in a laboratory, especially with the Wuhan laboratory thing going on, the change of, uh, what do they call it? Change of method. You can, you can insert a genetic change and uh, make an organism do something else. This happens all the time all around us. And it's a little known subject called genetic fusion. Doctors, uh, laboratory people know it. Genetic fusion is when a virus RNA and a fungal DNA or human cell DNA or RNA merge at night while we're sleeping. Um, And I always tell people it's when a good looking RNA comes up to a DNA and says, you know, I'd, I'd like to reproduce with you. The over time, genetic fusion enables the RNA, the nucleic acids to merge and a new hybrid organism is born. And I am totally convinced that what cancer is and Yale University, what was her name? She and I had a great conversation. She wrote a paper that said, you know, cancer forms when white blood cells and what was it? White blood cells and something else merge. And I forget what it was, but I called her and I said, that's it, it's human DNA and fungal DNA. And then you have this hybrid with the characteristics of human cells, as you know, yeast cells and human cells are identical. Uh, They're they're eukaryotes as opposed to prokaryotes, which are bacteria. But I believe genetic fusion initiates and mycotoxins cause genetic merging. Mycotoxins are known DNA mutants, 33 of them. So when this occurs, we have a brand new hybrid that our medicines, our eyes can't see. This takes place even under a a nuclear microscope, probably couldn't see it. But this is what I believe, this is what I believe starts cancer. We know that a whole lot of these fungi are carcinogenic in animals, and it would be cruel to now test them in humans. Uh, but we know that one or two of them, deoxynevalenol and aflatoxin B1, 
and B2 are known human carcinogens. But the thing is that those are big words, but to you and me, that means eating corn, having a bowl of cereal in the morning, uh, having a peanut bar, being on antibiotics, smoking cigarettes, 11 molds in a cigarette, you know, drinking alcohol, it, it's cumulative over a period of time. And once a lump forms, these fungi encapsulate themselves. There's power in numbers and they can, without oxygen, remember cancer tumors thrive in anoxic environments, right? So do fungi. Uh, but fungi can be starved to death if you don't give them sugars. So can tumor cells. Yeah, antifungals can wipe out fungus. Antifungals are now being used, several of them, to annihilate tumor growth. So it's, you know, well, fungi emit uh, volatile organic compounds. So do cancer tumors. If you begin dropping back and looking at this, it is just mind boggling how a science that seems to me, and I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, that seems so simple to me has eluded these brilliant 190 IQ guys, you know, who've made it through medical training. You don't mess with the bull when you get through medical school. You prescribe what you were taught to prescribe. I, in one of your articles, you were talking about 12 people. I believe it was, the number was 12 that had lung cancer. Hmm. And and they, uh, after looking a little deeper, it was it was just fungus. I mean, it was 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 not really lung cancer, but it looked exactly the same. There was there was uh, impossible to really distinguish between the two. So. How did they? How did they determine that it was a fungus versus cancer? So that was fascinating, and the number was twenty-four. Was it twenty-four? There were twenty-four okay. patients. I, I, yeah. With no, it's okay. And it was Dr. Pisa, P-I-S-A, Diana Pisa, uh, two thousand and thirteen. I couldn't put this down. I called her. You know, I mean, this was huge for me. Twenty-four. Uh, either primary or secondary. In other words, it had metastasized to some other tissue. I don't know what happened at the hospital. They must have got a mycologist in at that hospital and they said, well, these look more like aspergillomas. Aspergillomas are sacs that can grow anywhere in the body, but they're really known to grow in the lung. So you're breathing aspergillus mold in a dirty vent in your house somewhere. And over time, this thing grows into a ball. The doctor says, you can't breathe, you're coughing. Let's take an extra, oh, you've got lung cancer. Well, somebody came into that hospital in 2013, my wife always said, thank God, and put these patients, believe it or not, on, on systemic antifungal drugs, uh, Spornox, Diflucan, others, uh, Amphotericin B, and all 24 got better. Now, take that one step further. There was a published study done about three or four years ago where 27 cadavers were in a hospital. And they called in, this was done in Spain. They called in, I think, three pathologists to do autopsies, three different. So they make their notes, you know, they pull the lungs out and so we're the them and everything. And then they note their uh, characteristics. Then they reported in a couple of days what they went. Of the 27, uh, they found in the brain and other tissue, uh, a dozen or uh, 14 different fungi growing, 17 of them. In the other 10, no abnormalities. 
imagine the board sitting here hearing that. And they said, patient number one had the fungus in the brain and the neck, patient number three, patient number seven, all 17 with fungus growing through their body died of Alzheimer's. None of the other 10 died of Alzheimer's. So I've been very outspoken in my uh, neurotoxicology lectures about just what you said earlier. I love your reference to cordyceps. The ant climbs up the tree, you know, cordyceps gets in and grows through his brain so the cordyceps can live. It's when you're dealing with such a business as cancer has become, I have learned through the school of hard knocks that it can't be this simple. We can't be eating and drinking ourselves into cancer, into Alzheimer's, into diabetes. We just can't. That would never get through. And yet I have met people who have challenged me, lots of doctors, if they'll sit down with me like you have, and I so appreciate your time, they end up saying there might be something here. And you guys, you're the smart ones that after Doug's gone, will open the books and go, holy cow, he might've been onto something here. I don't know how I fell onto this. I think it was the grace of God, but we're helping huge numbers of people with this. So, so many and, so that I don't talk about it. <laughs> and, and so in your mind then, I mean, what what would a anti, I mean, people can find it on your website. They can They can read your book. But if you would kind of give a, a understanding of what a diet would look like for somebody dealing with cancer or concern, sure. I mean, obviously this translates into so many different things. And you just mentioned, yes. you know, Alzheimer, dementia, you know, skin, mm -hmm. skin issues, you know, depression, anxiety, and on and on. And I'm sure that autoimmune is, you know, placed right along into that as well. Uh, yeah. So what, what would they, what's kind of the the framework of the diet. I mean, no peanuts, no alcohol, no sugar, right. and no simple carbohydrates and no corn, obviously. <laughs> I found it in a, uh, in a 1945 Duke University medical book called Clinical Mycology. They had patients, they, they said a sentence in that book in 1945 that fungi thrive in the presence of carbs. I wasn't a nutrition guy. You know, I get my book out, what's a carb? Carbohydrate, oh, sugar. I don't eat much sugar, but people don't understand what, you know, naturopaths do. When you chew up grains, it converts to glucose with enzymes and you swallow sugar. So, and, and a potato is, a medium potato is like a third of a cup of sugar. So starches, rice, it's a diet that I was mocked for 45 years ago, 50 years ago, and today it's literally taken off an antifungal diet. My diet brushes in the face of conservatism in medicine. There are thousands of published reports that meat causes cancer. It doesn't. But what man does to the cow <laughs> causes cancer. Xerelinone, I cannot believe we are putting one of the most estrogenic, dangerous chemicals in cows to fatten them when they're young. It's a, it's a mycotoxin, fusarium mycotoxin called xerelinone, Z-E-A. So grass-fed, grass-finished, loaded with the right fats, omega fats, loaded with protein, and a really good medicine. So I eat steak a lot. Store-bought meat, I don't. I just don't. I worry about it. So I have to differentiate between all of those things. Now, one thing that would fascinate you, 
all of my books say, stay away from mushrooms. Man, they're not vegetables, they're fungi. Don't eat them. And then during this San Diego meeting, these two Japanese, all these doctors were in this meeting hall in San Diego and it was wonderful. And these two wonderful Japanese doctors came up to me afterwards with an interpreter and she interpreted. They had over a hundred women with chronic vaginal yeast that they had followed, they were oncologists, the, uh, uh, gynecologic oncologists, that they had followed some of them for decades. Many of them went on to get cervical cancer. And so they were fascinated by what I was talking about. Could the vaginal yeast? Yeah, it were candida? Of course it could, it's pathogen. And then one of them through the interpreter said, but, but the way we're helping these women get better is with mushrooms. Rishi, lion's mane, just like you're talking about. I had to do, right in the middle of my career, I had to do a double take. I began studying a field you know well called homeopathy. And the very base of homeopathic medicine is like heals like. And so when you've got an obvious yeast, like a vaginal yeast problem, feed it like, give it yeast, give it mushrooms, and it gets better. Well, I began to really rethink kombucha and, you know, many of these yeast starter uh, things that people are getting. And I tell people now, if you have a tumor in your body, talk to a naturopathic doctor about getting on a formula with mushroom. And well, I thought you told us not to eat. No, I changed my thinking here. If you, if it isn't fungus, you know, let's say it's a tumor, that could be bad because you're eating fungus. And I think that the mycotoxins could make that worse. But you're going to high five me six months from now if it does have a fungal etiology, if that tumor does, because believe it or not, you can heal like with like very often. So I've had to do a complete change. And that was difficult uh, saying that on television, admitting, you know, I've been wrong. But very often these lion's mane you mentioned are really good. And Rishi, these have been used, I learned in Japan, very successfully for many centuries for tumors in the body. So from that, I thought I was there to teach them. And I got on that airplane and flew back to Dallas thinking, wow, I learned from them. My whole world changed. I'm gonna tell people about chaga and you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach people what I learned from them. And I'll be darned if people with hapless ulcers and you know, many health problems don't respond favorably to mushrooms. What does that teach me? That the etiology of that medical complaint is yeast and fungus. Yeast, by the way, are single-celled fungi. So um, I've learned, I'm still learning here, 73 years old. And last week I learned, you know, I'm afraid I'm going to go home if I don't. Well, it, it, and, and that's the thing is that we, we can't, we can only express what we, what we know at the moment, but it's an ever-evolving field. And so we should have the right to change our mind, you know, depending mm. if new evidence, new, we, we should have that right. Uh, from what I've learned in regard to, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that that you know, you know yeast is very, you know, fungi is, is very territorial, meaning that if you have one kind, uh, you can then kind of push that out with another kind. It's, it's, am I correct with that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it can also be symbiotic just like it is with our human cells. It's very common to have a, a uh, a poly infection. 
Bacteria and fungus is pretty common, but it's interesting when they begin to differentiate, they do like a differential, like a blood, and they look at fusarium and uh, candida is very common. Another one is aspergillus. So we would think that when candida is done, that aspergillus would uh, saprophytically eat it and away it would go. But that's a, people can have five or six different fungal infections, which is why I have liked the, I'm not a guy who recommends medicines and yet I do it every day on my shows. I do it experimentally. If you're coughing up blood and your doctor does know what's wrong with you, Ask him for 200 milligrams of Sporinox a day for two weeks only. You don't have to worry about hepatotoxicity for two weeks, liver toxicity, while you're following my diet. If many things improved, guess what? We finally have an accurate diagnosis. So I would use, I do recommend drugs, antifungal drugs, and sometimes antibiotics when there's an obvious bacterial infection. But I, I use antifungal drugs with all of the doctors I work with experimentally. What have we got to lose? Uh, let's try this for 10 days. Generally within three days, most patients on antifungal drugs and starving the yeast with the diet will notice improvement three to four days. And then you and I talked earlier about the volume switch. You teach them in 10 days, doc, I wanna hug you. Man, I never felt so good in my life and I was worried that was a lump, that was cancer and it was must have been a cyst, it's gone and my cough is gone, I wanna hug you. Then you end the conversation with, I leave you with this. You know, it'd be a cool thing for your office, like a little rheostat, right? So you can turn your symptoms way up. You got a Friday, go out with friends, have a glass of wine, chocolate and so forth. Conversely, you can turn it way down. You don't give them an off on switch, but when you have a fungal condition, you can easily bring it back by going into old lifestyles. Love it. Doug, I mean, you, you wrote a book. I mean, we we're talking about that kind of fusion between uh, the, uh, the fungi and then also then our normal DNA and how the fungi then can alter the genetic expression or the DNA. So, I mean, tell tell me, do, do you mind showing the book that, that you wrote? No. I, that'd be a fantastic resource for people out there. So Dr. Dave Holland, a, a, a physician, and I wrote a book called The Germ That Causes Cancers 20 years ago. Sold and sold and sold and sold. But to be very candid, it was hundreds of pages and we were way over people's head. So I had an oncology nurse, Dr. Holland, who was also a biochemist um, and a, a, sale, a, a, a pharmaceutical sales rep who sold chemotherapy drugs. And I wrote this little book. This is about 50 pages, The Germ That Causes Cancer. And uh, you see on the front, if I can, you see the DNA merging, the fungal DNA and the human DNA. And down at the bottom, you end up with a little round bucket that's called a hybrid. And it has the characteristics of both DNA and it's a hybrid. It's what I call a cancer tumor. Uh, and this little round guy at the bottom will begin thriving on its own. It no longer needs parents. It begins like we did, thriving on its own if it's fed and if it's in the right environment. Out here in this room, it's 70 degrees. In here, it's 100, you know, 98.6. It loves heat. It loves that we're giving it alcohol and soda pops and candy and so forth, and away it goes. There was a wonderful thing. 
Uh, Dr. Frank was quoted on MD, uh, WebMD. He's an oncologist and it really touched my heart. I spoke to Ty and Charlene Bollinger, the Truth About Cancer a few years ago. What wonderful people. And I talked about this guy. He had written, he said, you send me any cancer patient you want. I can diagnose it. I can prognose it. I can take cells. I can tell them what it's going to grow into. I can differentiate it from other cancers. But then he said, every patient asked the inevitable question. What diet should I be on? <laughs> what supplement should I be on? And he was so transparent. And I just love this guy. I hope in my life to meet him. He said, I don't know. So they taught him how to prescribe, you know, and sometimes chemotherapy works, but they didn't teach him how to starve. You know, if this is an organism, it needs starving. So they didn't teach him about diet. They didn't teach. He said he's fascinated with supplements, uh, but he doesn't, you know, he didn't go through the schooling you went through. And I thought that was wonderfully transparent because that's where our oncologist today, I encourage people if they go to an oncologist, find a naturopathic doctor. Don't rely on one human alone. You have your chance are much better sitting down with someone who understands bioterrain, you know, the gut, the bloodstream and so forth. See, <laughs> you're the cat meowing in the background. She knows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's got good terrain. She she knows that to go on a more like a ketogenic type of diet. Yeah, more I love, <laughs> I love the ketogenic diet. In essence, as you know, they're using that now with cancer patients. The uh, ketogenic diet was used originally for seizures, epilepsy. And uh, I think it's the best antifungal diet. Put yourself into ketosis. My doctor friends are worried I'm saying ketoacidosis. And, you know, they get very worried that uh, their patients are going to ketoacidosis, which could kill a diabetic patient. No, keto ketosis, where you're burning your own fat instead of sugars for energy. I love the keto diet. And then, then obviously the fungi has a hard time then to thrive, you know, with that type of diet. But like you mentioned, it is important then to understand where your meat is coming from, you know, so mm. that you don't eat you know, different uh, mycotoxins and that's in the meat because of what was fed to that animal. That, that has always concerned me. And why don't I just recommend the keto diet? The more I studied it, the more I saw, and I may be way off here, but my, my studies led me to believe this isn't a forever diet. And I think the keto diet is up six, 7% carbs. My diet almost adds 50%, 10, 11% carbs. And I think we work a little better from an energy standpoint. I was looking when I developed the Kaufman diet at 30 years, I wasn't looking for, you know, to shrink cancer tumors real quickly and then go back to beer and hot dogs, you know? So uh, that's my diet's kind of in the middle of the Mediterranean and the keto diet. So would, would you, you know, let's say a person is dealing with cancer, you initially, you, you hit it hard, you take the different supplements, you do antifungal, you starve it. Uh, do you need, uh, in from what you've seen and all the people that have been on your diet, do they need to continue on that diet, you know, post everything looks good? Or is there, you know, another layer? Do they move towards more like a Mediterranean type of diet after that? When someone survives a diagnosis, those three words, you have cancer, you can't pry them off this diet. And I thought of that 50 years ago when I was putting a diet together. 
I didn't know what the keto diet was then, but a patient of Dr. Gottschalk's told me that her daughter had seizures and, you know, she taught me his diet. Then I went to the library and I studied and I said, wow, that's a really good diet. But the more I studied it, can she live till she's a teenager and then 20 and then 30 on this diet without being, you know, real thin and sickly? And so I added some more carbs. By the way, my carbs, people ask me, how'd you put that diet together? Well, one day I was getting a haircut in, you know, 1975 and a Women's Day magazine from 1954 was sitting at the barbershop. And on the, and this is a true story. On the cover, it said, green apples have far less sugar than red apples. And a light went on my mind. And I said, okay, green apples it is. Carrots, of course, are high on the glycemic index. But carrots have something called falcarinol, a phytonutrient, which just annihilates fungus. So I tell people, drink carrot juice, et cetera. So my diet, it, it stood the test of time. Uh, and it's something people can stay on for an extended period of time. I, I'm living proof of that, you know, except when I get together with the grandkids and may turn the volume up a little bit, you know, I'm pretty much on my diet and I feel so good. I feel better now. My crutch coming home from Vietnam was alcohol really calmed me. Really, I'd never drunk, you know, before I got home, but I was 21 years old, lived in Los Angeles. And whereas loud noises or people moving quickly would scare me. Hey, a beer, two beers, didn't bother me at all. So I had to, I had to quit all that as I honed my studies on mycotoxicology, fungi and mycotoxins. So, and, and so let's say then a, a, a patient, they, they, they're doing your diet and they're communicating to the doctor, you know, they know that they should do some antifungal treatment. I mean, what combinations have you seen work the best? I mean, which which drug seems to be the safest? You know, because a lot of them can be really hard on the liver. Mm -hmm. uh, what what extended period of time do you pulse things? What 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 do you, what have you seen uh, be be kind of a good strategy? What you and I learned in bacteriology many many years ago is look, these bacterium are smart they'll outsmart the penicillin. And so you got to move around. That's why there's a thousand antibiotics on the market today. That's even more true of earlier generation. You know, the, the Bible doesn't say bacteria, it doesn't say virus, it doesn't say COVID. It says fungi, leavening, yeast, you know. And so they'll outsmart you, these little buggers. If you took, for example, vitamin D3, cholecalciferol is a very good antifungal sunlight, you know. Uh, or B3, niacin, or resveratrol, or caprylic acid. What I learned from seeing huge numbers of patients in 20 years was at four or five months, it's going to outsmart the caprylic acid. And so I developed this rotational type thing. And the rotation boils down to a thumbprint. How deep is your systemic mycosis? How long have you had it? How tolerant is it to caprylic acid? And at some time, your symptoms, be they sinus or your depression, are going to begin coming back. Time to knock one out and start with a new one. The zinc. There's no shortage of antifungals out there, including broccoli. You know, I mean, it's amazing uh, the food and supplements we have that have antifungal properties. I taught the. I thought I would get my foot into doctors' doors. The only way I could figure on doing it is to recommend drugs. And lo and behold, the good doctors in California let me experiment. We didn't have back in the 70s, the Sporanox, the Lamisil, you know, even Diflucan. 
Uh, we didn't have those drugs. We had amphotericin B and some of those real hard nizoral, really hepatotoxic drugs. I, when I saw the patients with the doctors, I always pleaded for the patient, look, she's been coming here six years. Could we try something different instead of, uh, you know, a, an anti-inflammatory aspirin or something? Could I try, would you mind trying a diet out and, you know, a couple of medications? Well, I'm a little bit leery of medications. Okay, nystatin. Nystatin is a soil-based organism. It was found on a ranch in Missouri. I have the original papers on it, and it became a best-selling drug. Never got much credit because doctors Hazen and Brown were both women. Isn't that fascinating? They had a laboratory in Albany, New York, hence the name, New York State Inn, or Nystatin. And so it's Nystatin is so safe, and yet it works so good. It's usually a gut antifungal. If you suspect a yeast, then Diflucan works best. If you suspect aspergillus or fusarium mold, then I would use either Lamisil. These are good for cutaneous, like toenail fungus, but they work really well for fungi, uh, aspergillus, et cetera. So if there's a yeast problem, Nystatin and Diflucan. If there's a fungal problem, Nystatin and Spornox, Lamisil or Spornox, only for a short time then put the no sense in killing it or stopping it, fungicidal, fungistatin. If you're gonna move back into your home that's moldy or if you're gonna continue drinking beer and so forth. So it's gotta be a concerted effort on the patient's part. If you'll put them on the diet, go to Lowe's or Home Depot and get a little mold test plate, put it in your bedroom where you spend a third of your life and see if it changes colors in a few days. If it does, call a remediator. Go on the diet, go on these medicines for two weeks. Because at that point, when they come back, it was dramatic. Dr. Weekly once told his nurse, who's still a friend of mine, Linda, uh, he wanted in his five exam rooms, I had been there two years, he wants a box of Kleenex in each of the exam rooms because the people emoted, they had had these health problems forever. So it was very exciting. Then we moved them off the drugs and we put them on. I love beta-glucan. Uh, I love vitamin C. Um, you know, I, I love just a good multi, a, preferably a food-based multi, and I love caprylic acid. I love resveratrol, lauric acid. I love things you can get in the health food store that have broad spectrum antimicrobial effect. Uh, you mentioned a couple of them also that are great antimicrobial. And that means it isn't just fungus. Let's say we're wrong and there is a virus, a dormant virus or a bacterium. These things like olive leaf extract tend to kill them all. Yeah, and they're so so kind of rotating from what I'm hearing. Then rotating, you've you got you know olive leaf, you got arco, you got caprylic, you got garlic, you got you know curcumin, yep. you got so just kind of rotating continually. Mm -hmm. uh, so for things like melanoma, for instance, I mean there that's a very you know, it, it's kind of on on the skin. So just kind of using then an antifungal on the skin while being on the antifungal diet. And if, if you're getting then traction, then, and there you are. A sidebar here. I hope your audience doesn't mind. Uh, did you know fungi make melanin? I had no idea. A paper came out a couple of years ago, but it needs an activator. And the activator is UV light. And I used to surf, you know, I, I used to go out and I'd get pitch black, just, you know, just, and it's, it's so fascinating to think that I have a 
on my back, a, a mole that's a whole bunch of melon and maybe a fungal ball. And then I put some UV light on it, staying out at the beach too often. And I go to a dermatologist and he chops a little off and says, man, you have melatonin, melatonin, I'm sorry, melanoma. And fungi make this. Another sidebar, they have just discovered that breast compression initiates cancer tumor growth. No, it doesn't, but that's what a mammogram is. And it, it, you think about the ionizing radiation. So you compress the breast, you break the cells, then you shoot ionizing radiation through it. And you're pretty much assured that normal tissue may become cancerous. It, the more I study this, the more I cannot believe some of the, dare I say, archaic means we use to tell people they're sick. You would think that by now it would have evolved into something more, yeah. you know, and, and instead of, you know, we're, we're blasting it with some chemical toxins, we are, you know, burning it, we are cutting it, we are compressing it, we are stabbing it. I mean, you, you would think that we would have come further, but yeah. One, one would think we are, when we're kids, your loving mom, my loving mom took us to loving pediatricians and boy, the shots and the, you know, everything started and we learned to trust. I think the last three years, the standard American is beginning to raise their eyebrows, you know, over this whole big medical conundrum that uh, we found ourselves with. And I have no ax to grind. I, I loathe their education. I love the people, really good people. But man, when you're, have you ever read the Hippocratic Oath? They raise their right hand and say, he who taught me, I will put their son or daughter through medical school. I will give them money. They are aligned with the pharmaceutical company right out of medical training. So that scares me. And I think the general public, I think they know they're really good people and they really want to help people. Uh, but because they have that laminated piece of paper behind their desk, they're pretty much limited in what they can do, or now we know what they can say. Exactly. Well, Doug, it, it, it's been such a pleasure, and, and I, I so appreciate you being a, a trailblazer and a, and a voice to, to really highlight things that people need to understand and uh, that they don't get through normal media. So I, I, I really... How can, what, what's the best way for people to learn more about what you do and, and get the information that you have available? We have thousands of articles on our website. It's simple, knowthecause.com. We have a getting started that you can pull down and what, how do you, what is this diet and so forth. And then I do a live show. I did one earlier tonight and I'll do one tomorrow, a couple of days a week, because on television, I couldn't have any intimacy with the audience and people want to ask me questions. And so I do this live show on Facebook and my own website. We have a launch pad on knowthecause.com and you can join me a couple days a week and try and ask questions and so forth. But knowthecause.com, I, I have a physician you would love. Luke Curtis is an industrial hygienist, a mold specialist and a physician. And for 20 years, he has been updating all of the scientific data on mold on my website. So a lot of good information there. And I certainly owe you a debt of gratitude. I knew of you. This is really an honor. I, I so appreciate it. Well, likewise. Thank you so much, Doug. It, it's been truly a pleasure. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
The information this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not designed to diagnose or treat any disease. If you'd like to know more about what my center offers, please visit thecarlfeldcenter.com. Please join us next week for another live consultation with a patient diagnosed with cancer on Integrative Cancer Solutions with Dr. Carl Feldt.